There'll be spectacle, there'll be fantasy, there'll be daring do and stuff like you would never see. Hey, a movie. Yeah, we're gonna be a movie starring everybody and me. There'll be heroes bold, there'll be comedy, and a lot of fuss that ends for us real happily. And we are going to start right here. Hello, and welcome to a Rattledgen Broadcasting Network podcast triple feature. I'm your host, the mandated reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified, Mr. Mark Rattledge. And joining me tonight is David Wright. How do you do, sir? I'm doing fine. Thanks, Mark. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah and all that to everyone. Yes, Mad Kwanzaa to you as well. And happy Boxing Day. Boom, boom. Yes. Boxing, right? Yeah? Yeah, yeah. I mean, got to get those deals somehow. <laughs> so tonight on the marquee is a is a trio of cyberpunk sci-fi movies led by three leading ladies. We have Ghost in the Shell from 2017 starring Scarlett Johansson to the chagrin of everyone. Um, Aeon By Flux. Everyone, we mean no one. <laughs> and then uh, Aeon Flux starring Charlize Theron. And then Ex Machina starring Alicia Vikander. So um, first, I actually was supposed to do this with somebody else, but he was not able to get all three movies in in time and bailed on the podcast. But you heard I was doing this and got excited and kind of inserted yourself, which I'm grateful for. Or I wouldn't be doing a podcast right now. <laughs> so what made you want to jump in on this one? Simply put, Ghost in the Shell. Like okay. I'm, I'm a, I'm a big longtime fan of the franchise, so Dude. it's more like I'm, I'm here for Ghost in the Shell, and I kind of watch the other two just to talk about Ghost in the Shell. <laughs> Faustian bargain, eh? <laughs> Something like that. Forty-five minutes later, fine. Now we can talk about Aeon yeah. Flux. Well, I'm I, done. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I did previously see Aeon Flux years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about. So, since you're all excited to talk about it, let's do a brief introduction of what Ghost in the Shell is, and then you can kind of tell me your history with it. So Ghost in the Shell started its life as a manga, um, and then it was an animated movie, and now it's a live-action film, again, starring the aforementioned Scarlett Johansson. Um, it was directed by Rupert Sanders, written by Jamie Moss, uh, William Wheeler, and the infamous Aaron Kruger. Um, it came out uh, March 31st, 2017, in the United States, had a budget of $110 million. It exceeded its budget, but it was not profitable. This thing bombed at the box office. Um, you know, Scarlett Johansson, when she's in an Avengers movie, she's really, really good. When she's on her own, it's sometimes a bit of a tough sell in, in the leading lady role, unfortunately. Uh, so I got to ask, did you read the manga? Did you watch the animated movie? Tell me about your history with this product. Sure. Well, the first thing I saw was, yeah, the 95 animated movie by Mamoru Oshii, that sort of the, the cult classic film. Mm -hmm. After that, I think I did track down a copy of the manga, and I, I read all of that. And then in the early 2000s, they did a TV anime uh, called Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex. So I watched that. It got a second season. Watched that, too. I think there was a TV movie added. Then they, they did a second animated series called Ghost in the Shell Arise, which was kind of like Ghost in the Shell Begins. Like, they're all teenagers now, almost. <laughs> okay. At least, the, well, the character designs looked a lot younger than... Mm -hmm. previous so they, they kind of started with the backstory of section nine and whatnot and then i think there was also sandalone complex season three which showed up on netflix watch that so i've seen 
most of the adaptations of Ghost in the Shell, including Ghost in the Shell 2, the second movie by Mamoru Oshii, which I think was just a part of a, like you say, a Faustian bargain to get another film he wanted made gotcha. done. You know, it's like, okay, we'll make your fancy art film about how anime sucks now because no one has any different ideas. Just make another Ghost in the Shell movie. People will actually pay money to see that. <laughs> you know, uh, so he did. And uh, yeah, so Ghost in the Shell has had a lot of incarnations over mm -hmm. the course of its uh, its life. And even like uh, Mazumune Shiro, the original writer, he's been pretty cool with that. He's just, you know, like, I'm, I'm happy to just, you know, this is my version of it and let other people sort of take my ideas and, uh, you know, run with it in different directions. Uh, for the record, I would say Standalone Complex, the first two seasons are probably what I would consider the best incarnation the Ghost in the Shell, they kind of have the most big ideas with a, a decent budget and some good writing on it, almost sort of like a cyberpunk procedural series. So that's kind of the Ghost in the Shell that all others are judged against. If you were to, and, and I want your answer in two parts, okay? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm giving, this, is, this is a test question. I, I, need, I need an essay form. I need two parts answered. Um, so if you were to A, sell somebody on watching Ghost in the Shell, like, hey, you should check out this, IP ghost in the shell and all of its very incarnations. Why? <clears throat> and when they say, okay, but what's it about? Remember you're at the water cooler. They have to go back to work. You can't be all day. <laughs> <laughs> you can't be Charlie from it's only sunny in Philadelphia with, you know, with the red string and everything you have like 50 words or less to tell them why and tell them what, why ghost in the shell? What is ghost in the shell? Yeah. Well, I'd say it's one of the sort of foundational cyberpunk stories. Mm -hmm. Sort of Ghost in the Shell and Blade Runner, I think, are probably the two biggest ones. Uh, it was a big inspiration for The Matrix mm -hmm. back in the day. And uh, basically what it's about is it sort of takes place in the not-too-distant future where cybernetics have become very commonplace and information technology is advanced a lot. And you know, when we talk, when I say cyborgs, I'm not talking about the Borg from Star Trek. These are you know, cyborgs that look very much just like normal humans. Just, mm -hmm. you know, they, they can have super speed, super strength. They can, you can plug right into the internet and it kind of just explores crime and sort of some of the esoteric questions arising from that. Okay. It seems to, at least judging from how the movie was done, it seems to um, deal a lot with someone's memories, their past, them, try, you know, they wake up as one thing, they used to be another and it's that search for the other that's motivating them. Am I off on that? Uh, well, again, there there are many different stories okay. told in Ghost in the Shell, and even the original manga was a lot more just punching bad guys type stuff. Okay. Fair Whereas enough. the the Oshi movie that was a lot more navel gazing. Where like in the case of the major, it's more like her sort of trying to figure out you know what makes me me. Mm -hmm. Like you know, like you know, we can identify ourselves by our physical forms, but. Like there's a scene in the movie where she's just you know, out and about town and she sees like other bodies almost exactly like her. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's like, you know, what, what, what is it that makes me inherently myself? And they even get into the idea that, you know, your memories can be hacked. So you could eat your entire life could just be a fabrication written by someone else. So it's sort of, you know, you know, what separates the ghost from the shell and the idea of the ghost is it's this sort of part of the consciousness that cannot be copied. Like that's sort of like your, your soul. Okay. Yeah. So when when they announced that they were let, let's just talk about this for one minute and then we'll get into the actual movie. When they announced that they're doing a Ghost in the Shell movie, and I think this was Paramount who did this. I think Paramount might be responsible for at least two out of the three of these. Yeah. Paramount's definitely responsible for this one. This was Paramount Amblin Dreamworks. So this is um Steven Spielberg's production company, Paramount, all of that. 
And when in development, they were like, okay, we're going to do the Ghost in the Shell movie based on this manga slash anime slash whatever. And we're going to get Scarlett Johansson in the lead. There was a, there. I know you joked about it, but there was a segment of the population that was like, what the hell, man? Um, because I'm guessing the, the actual lead is an Asian gal. Um, uh, yeah, like um, it takes... Uh, the Oshi movie, I think, takes place maybe around Hong Kong or at least mm -hmm. some. It's definitely in an Asian country. Mm -hmm. uh, standalone complexes, without a doubt, in Japan. Okay. Uh, so, what was so? Did you care? You know, did you feel like there were you know a half a dozen other Asian actresses that could have done the role better? What was your thought on the casting of Scarlett Johansson for this? Yeah, I mean, yeah, this is when she was big from, you know, being Black Widow in the MCU. So right. she, she certainly had, you know, the, she, she knows how to put on a cat suit and do action scenes. Sure does, Ollie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, so like I, I could and she's a, she's a big name. So the mm. business, you know, the business side, you know, the, the you know, producers with their cigars, you know, pitching it. I can, I could totally get why they went with Scarlett Johansson. Oh, I know why. And, and if I'm on the side, you know. If I'm on the side of the studio, there's no there's no debate about this. You know, a half a dozen Asian actresses aren't going to sell nearly as many tickets in theory, in theory, as Scarlett Johansson, who was just in the Iron Man and Captain America movies. Yeah, I mean, you kind of run into the problem of finding an actress that has the physical abilities, yet also mm -hmm. the acting chops to do that. And in the case of some Asian actresses, that I know like they had Rinko Kikuchi, a lot of people... Mm -hmm. said because again pacific rim but mm -hmm. uh, rinko kikuchi i mean good actress but her english is not that great she she mm -hmm. does most of her lines phonetically so you know she has a very limited range in performance uh right. but so yeah i think it would be more of a, an indictment of just that hollywood hasn't really produced like a female asian action star that could sell movies and like you know even i i'd be hard to press to sort of so you know who would who would I cast in this movie as mm -hmm. as an act of of what actors I know that would fit the the character and be able to do the acting as well as the action bits. And but, then uh, and then the other side of it is you know you got to get more than just the fan base out there. there isn't enough of a, of a fan base I would imagine to really make this worth doing. This is this isn't an art piece. <laughs> this is supposed to be a major. What was the budget on this thing? I said a hundred and ten. This is Marvel money. This is yeah, low low end Marvel money. This yeah. Is, this is meant to do five hundred six million six hundred million dollars. Who do you plaster on the poster that's going to drive all the boys to come see this thing? And yeah. you know, there's not a lot of good answers there. Well, what I find so funny is like the place on the planet where the least amount of people were worked up about this was Japan. <laughs> you know, what like, are all like, your white people crying about? <laughs> yeah, they're like Scarlett Johansson. Great, we love Scarlett Johansson. She's playing like, a lead role in a Japanese story. Like this is great. We're so. We're so happy, like you know, Mazamune Shiro. He signed off on it. Mamoru Oshii, like you know, no, no one in Japan, from what I heard, raised a single stink about Scarlett Johansson being maybe being cast in this thing. Maybe that should have been question one. Well, how do the people in Japan feel? We don't care. All right. Oh, welcome to Twitter, where it's like you know, ninety percent white people complaining about what they think is offensive to anyone else, right? <laughs> like it, it's one of those. Well, it's like, what was it? Uh, Avril Lavigne did like, wore like a kimono in something or other. Right. And they'll go, this is cultural appropriation. How could she do this? And in Japan, it's like, wow, Avril Lavigne likes kimono. She appreciates Japanese culture. That's so cool. Right. Like, you know, like, like say what you will, the Japanese and, mm -hmm. and they're great people, but they're, they're pretty, pretty confident in their own culture. Like they, mm -hmm. they don't seem to mind it when other people 
Yeah, there's that's take interest appropriation, in it. and they're like, appropriate our culture, go, go, take it. It's fine. We want to share. Yeah, I mean, there is a line. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Yeah, but uh, but but yeah, overall, yeah, like they they seem pretty on it, and mm-hmm. most of the PR I heard in Japan around it was pretty, you know, pretty okay. Mamoru Oshii was saying, you know, this is the best Ghost in the Shell has ever looked. Granted, he didn't talk about the story; he was just talking about the visuals. You know, yeah. read between the lines there, but you know, that, yeah, that, that seems when I was reading up on the history of this, that seemed to have been the buzz where everyone agrees that the movie looks good and we'll we'll get into the craft now of it. But it everyone seems to have agreed the movie looks good and Scarlett Johansson's doing her best with the material. The story in and of itself borders between meh and what? Yeah, so. yeah, because like for me, like I said, I've seen many of the different incarnations of this franchise and mm-hmm. you know what you can do with this setting. So I saw the movie. It's like, oh, they just went with the most boilerplate, boring, milk toast story they could for this. Yeah, that, so, that's... Spoiler alert, the corporation is evil. That's it. <laughs> okay. So the plot, such as it is, goes like this. In the near future, humans are augmented with cybernetic improvements into traits such as vision, strength, and intelligence. Augmentation developer Honka Robotics establishes a secret project to develop an artificial body or a shell that can integrate a human brain rather than an AI. Mira Killian, the sole survivor of cyber terrorist attack which killed her parents, is chosen as a te- subject after her body is damaged beyond repair. Over the objections of her designer, Dr. Woolet, Honka Robotics CEO Cutter decides to use Killian as a counterterrorism operative like you do. A year later, Killian has attained the rank of Major, the Major, <laughs> in the Counter- Counterterrorism Bureau of Section 9, working alongside operatives uh, Batu, Tagusa, under Chief uh, Aramaki. Okay. Um, Killian, who experiences hallucinations that will let dismisses as glitches, is troubled by how little she remembers of her past. The team thwarts a terrorist attack on a Honka business conference, and Killian destroys a robotic geisha after it murders a hostage. Uh, after learning that the geisha was hacked by an unknown entity known as Kuze, Killian breaks protocol and dives into its AI for answers. The entity attempts a counter hack and Batu is forced to disconnect her. They trace the hacker to a Yakuza nightclub. It's always the Yakuza, David. Well, in Japan, yes. (laughs) Where they are lured into a trap. The explosion destroys Batu's eyes and damages Killian's uh, body. Cutter is enraged by Killian's actions and threatens to have Section 9 shut down unless Aramaki keeps her in line. Again. (laughs) Section 9 gets shut down a lot. Okay. (laughs) They're almost like S.H.I.E.L.D. Gotcha. Kuze tracks down Section 9's Honker consultant, Dr. Dolan, and kills her. The team links her murder to the deaths of other senior company researchers and realizes that Willette is the next target. Kuze takes control of two sanitation workers and sends them to kill Willette. Now with cybernetic eyes, these eyes, Batu kills one while the repaired Killian subdues the other. While they integrate, interrogate rather, the worker, Kuze speaks through him before compelling him to commit suicide. Tagusa traces the hack to a secret location where the team discovers a large number of humans mentally linked as makeshift signals uh, network. Killian is captured and Kuze reveals that he is a failed Honka test subject from the same project that killed that created Killian. He urges her to question her own memories and stop taking her medication as it actually helps block her memories. Kuze then frees her and escapes. Killian confronts Willette, who admits that 98 test subjects died before Killian and that her memories are implanted. Cutter has decided that Killian is a liability, like you do, and orders Roulette to kill her after she returns to Honka Robotics. Instead, Roulette gives Killian an address and helps her escape. 
Cutter kills Willette, but blames Killian, saying that she has gone rogue. He informs Aramaki and then the team that Killian must be terminated. Killian follows the address to an apartment occupied by a widowed mother, who reveals that her daughter, Motoko Kusanagi, ran away from home a year ago and was arrested. While in custody, Motoko took her own life. Killian leaves and contacts Aramaki, who allows Cutter to remotely eavesdrop on their conversation. Batu, Tagusa, Aramaki eliminate Cutter's men, trying to ambush them, while Killian follows her memories to the hideaway where Motoko was last seen. There, she and Kuze meet and recall their past lives as anti-augmentation radicals who were abducted by Honka as test subjects. That didn't work out very well, did it? And then this tank, and then the spider from Wild Wild West shows up. Um, <laughs> or the end of the first movie. <laughs> yeah. Cutter display, uh, deploys a spider tank to kill them. Kuze nearly dies before Killian is able to tear out the tank's monitor control center, losing her arm in the process. Mortally wounded, Kuze asks Killian to come with me. There is no place for us here. Killian refuses, saying, no, I'm not ready to leave. I belong here. Kuze says he will always be with her, and the ghost then fades out. Then a Honka sniper kills him. Batu and team rescue Killian while Aramaki executes Cutter with Killian's consent. The next day, now repairing and embracing her true identity as a Japanese uh, Matoko, Killian re uh, reconnects with her mother and returns to work with Section 9. And nothing of value was lost or gained. All right. So I have to ask before we get into this, is there anything, you know, we've talked about this with like other movies like, like Spider-Man, for example, specifically Sam Raimi. It looked like they were actual panels that were cut out of the comic and storyboarded and then shot in the movie. Was there any iconic imagery from the manga or from the animes that's in this film, or was it kind of wholesale their own creation? Not so much from the anime, from the, or sorry, not so much from the manga. From the mm -hmm. 95 Oshi film, a lot mm -hmm. of scenes were lifted. Okay. The context of those scenes was completely changed, but in, in this movie's fairness, every adaptation of Ghost in the Shell pretty much lifts those mm. handful of scenes standalone complex did it i'm sure arise did it whatever well, they do so next that, will do it like oh she oh she has a real eye for that that 95 anime film it, it sounds like it's it's the most influential going forward of this like certainly visually like as okay. far as some scenes go like you have the the helicopters flying over at the beginning of the movie that's mm -hmm. Taken right out of it. In fact, the the whole Motoko being built or the major's body being built at the beginning is pretty much a shot for shot remake of the opening of the '95 movie, just with different music, which is okay. as good. Uh, like the bit at the end where she's falling from the from the building and she puts her hand in front of her face as mm -hmm. she cloaks. That's lifted right out of the '95 movie. Yeah. I must have seen that in a trailer or some some. some i've never seen it but I've, i have seen images of that i've seen shots of things i even i knew that one yeah the the fight scene where she's fighting the garbage man mm -hmm. and she's got the thermoptic camouflage on and mm -hmm. you know the water's bouncing off of her cloaked form that's pretty much shot for shot out of the 95 movie which is an amazing scene like it's mm -hmm. you know pick one scene from ghost in the show you want to see made with a hundred million dollars worth of hollywood special effects that's the one gotcha so uh yeah, there's bits here like the the, the fingers splitting into little keyboard tendrils. That's from mm -hmm. from the first movie. Uh, you know, the eyes opening up and her plugging her face into the computer. That's from the second film. So yeah, there's there's a lot of things that have been lifted from mostly the '95 film. But again, in in their defense, every version of Ghost in the Shell lifts most of those scenes. All right, well, this is the part you've been waiting for, Dave. So tell me, what did you think of this movie? Like it was, it was very predictable, bog standard. Mm -hmm. 
you know, like, you know, they didn't save your life. They stole it. It's like, you know, you, you, you know, that line's there. Like, <laughs> of course the, the medicine she's taking is what's suppressing her memories instead of helping her. Like, you know, it's again, they, they told probably the least interesting story they could and tried to make it half an origin story. Like in the mm -hmm. original, you know, like again, cybernetics are commonplace. Like the major isn't anything special in terms of her her cybernetics. And I mean, she's special in that she has a lot of cybernetics. Mm -hmm. She's like eighty percent, you know, robot, well, and, and has been for the way most they of her shot life. it. She seems like a human head, and the rest of it's a robot. Just about yeah, brain, brainstem, everything yeah. else is there. And for the most part, her origins are shrouded in mystery. Mm -hmm. I think one one of the episode they kind of gave her a bit of a backstory, but that's never really been important to the character. It's just more like she's really, really good at using her body. Like she can, mm -hmm. she can do all the backflips and martial arts, and she's you know a tactically a very savvy person. That's kind mm -hmm. of her character, and and the like the show works best when it focuses not just on the major but on the cast. Okay. Like, uh, one interesting thing is you have Bato and Togusa, who Bato, I think, is very well done in this version. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the actor that plays him, I think, does a, a pretty good job with the character. He's sort of the more muscle-head mm -hmm. type, type character. Still still a fairly smart guy, but uh, you know, he he's almost kind of acts as a big brother to mm -hmm. the major, even though she's pretty much mostly his superior in ability. Um, but you also have, like, Togusa, who has very little to do in the movie. Mm -hmm. But in this in the show, he's basically uh, has very little cyberization. He kind of like just has a port in his neck to plug into the internet. But otherwise, he's pretty much hundred percent human, and he's like a, a father and husband. So you sort of have all these different things that they experience in this, you know, like post singularity world, and you have all these variety of opinions on that. Like how mm -hmm. Togusa views something is different than how the major would view something because he's not a cyborg. Okay. So I was as I'm hearing you talk about the movie and thinking about the things that you've said about the various iterations of the IP, it's a pretty Herculean task when you think about, like, we're going to make this for not just an American, a worldwide audience, but an American audience first. And we're an American studio, and we want this to be a big budget, $500 million or more picture. Um, but it sounds like... The trick with an adaptation, especially of something like this, is you can't just gear it towards um, the hardcore fans. The hardcore fans are the ones that get all the details of the one. You know, it when you break it down so that a general audience can get it, you lose the hardcore fans. They're like, like we know all this stuff already. Move on. Like, let's let's see something else. Yeah. You know, well, or let, let's get that's... deeper into let's get deeper into the IP. But then I'm going to tell you what my experience was like watching this. It was an okay movie. Uh, I like just from just from a general craft point of view it it didn't feel like it, it explored the esoteric ethereal um existential questions enough there wasn't nearly enough action to keep me interested and scarlett johansson mumbles through the whole thing so yeah. it looks great but everything but the other legs of the stool are all cracked and i was having a hard time getting getting through it and so i go back to what i was starting off with this and, and you're like eager to jump in so i'm going to shut up and let you do it yeah <laughs> is where do you uh, you know the skill in adapting something like this is figuring out how to engage me as an audience member and you at the same time we are not the same person 
Yeah. Well, I would say as first as I would say a fairly hardcore fan of it. I'm certainly not the hard hardest of the hardcore and proud to say so. I mean, does anyone really want to be that guy? Uh, <laughs> but uh, like, I wasn't looking for like a shot for shot remake of anything. Of course. Sure. Yeah. There are certain scenes that would be cool to see in, you know, in, in live action and certainly, you know, there, there's, there are obviously little homages that they put in again, like the hand in front of the face and all that, right. you know, okay, fine. You know, you, you, you can throw that in there. That's, that's okay. But it's more like the world and the characters. You can take yeah. them and go anywhere. This is sort of something that the Cowboy Bebop adaptation also sort of didn't quite get right, is that you don't need to remake the series. You can have these characters and write a new adventure for them. Mm -hmm. You know, and and right. it still works. So I wasn't I, I I wasn't really going in there expecting you. Know, I want to see this story perfectly adapted into right. live action. Just you know, take this world and do something interesting with it. You know, with the power of Hollywood effects and budgets. Yeah, I'll and, give you an example of that. They sure. took and because we've talked about this in the past. Before I do, friend on Twitter says, much like all adaptations from the manga anime, those who try to adapt the property miss the point of the story and always try to improve something as if it's broken. And I, I would agree with that. Yeah, I didn't really, I can't really think of what they improved on though. Like, <laughs> well, they know, try is what his point is. So, Demon yeah. in a Bottle, um, most famously, it's one of the more famous Iron Man stories. Yeah. Not to, and this is not going to be a whole tangent thing, but just to make your point for you, they. Demon in a Bottle is Tony Stark's struggle with alcoholism that um, results in him losing the Iron Man armor and having to go into rehab. You know, and yeah. that's the whole story. And they used Demon in a Bottle for Iron Man 2. But instead of struggling with alcoholism, he was struggling with dying. You know, yeah. the, the arc reactor is killing him. Um, and, and the beats of the story are more or less the same. The treatment of it is different. The 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 specificity of it, um, the specific points is different. Instead of alcoholism, it's death. Um, but but the story is pretty much there. Like that, that's an example of I think of what you're talking about, which is you know we don't necessarily need to see the actual demon in a bottle captured on screen. You know where it's you know Iron Man leaves Las Vegas. What we yeah. do, you know, tell your story. You can just draw inspiration from these things. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like like for example, the original movie, the the ninety five mm -hmm. movie, is just like a a robot body, mm -hmm. you know, that is to have a person put into it, escapes all by itself. Mm -hmm. So the the evil corporation is trying to get this thing back because like an AI that they have has gone rogue and stolen this body. But from like Section Nine's perspective, like the majors and Bato especially, it's like you know, can a body generate its own ghost? So it's kind mm -hmm. of you know, AI achieving consciousness, which we'll get a bit more into in the last movie. We have to look at here but you know i so i sort of like my view of ghost and shell is it should be something more like like standalone complex was very much like a sort of procedural show just in this mm -hmm. universe so there was kind of like a different aspect of things shown each episode though there was at times a, a through line overarching plot but they would also do little side stories here well, so something about like a, almost like a, a bond movie right where right. you know here's our villain trying to destroy the world for right. reasons james bond has to go and stop them so we can say well let's explore ai achieving sentience here let's or maybe second movie let's explore what makes us human like there's this right. fantastic line from the first movie from the ai that it says you know information cannot be defined but it defines man or i mm -hmm. would say humanity here like you know all we are is information in our in our brains yeah, you so, know, we can never quantify what information actually you, is. You brought up Cowboy Bebop, and I wanted, yeah. to, I wanted to um, go ahead with that. 
I want I wanted to support your point, which is you know we we the complaint we had about Cowboy Bebop was we we liked it better when they were doing stuff, when they yeah. were out you know getting bounties, having adventures. When it became about their past and you know and uh, it became about what's his face's um, dealing with the mob and all of that. Yeah, the Spike. show got dragged. Spike. The show got dragged down, and I think Ghost in the Shell operates in much the same way. Where I much I much want rather wanted her to see her complete missions you know like go on yeah. adventures go do something i didn't mind that the attempt to deal with oh you know i'm being used against my will and they've changed my memories and i'm not who i thought i was the problem is much like cowboy bebop it completely drags down the narrative and a better movie a better written movie deals with who am i um to where it, that becomes tolerable and, and even enjoyable. Unfortunately, there's a chasm in between what this one does with it to where it's like, hey, look, if you're not going to do with it well, then just make her kick a lot of ass. Yeah, and I think <laughs> you know? if, if you don't deal with those sort of higher ideas, which is kind mm -hmm. of what what sort of gives the spice to the ghost in the shell, it's like mm -hmm. you know, there's no sizzle to the steak. Mm -hmm. And you just kind of get your, your sort of bland, generic, okay, everything you know is wrong, the corporation's evil, punch stuff spider tank right i will tell you this then then i think the key to have have adapting this would have been to try to treat that a little bit better i just i don't think it was successful in that matter yeah like and you don't need a lot you don't need to right. like make a navel gazing super intellectual show like right. you, you can still have all your punchy and kicky and explosions mm -hmm. but yeah give it a little bit yeah, a little bit of something to munch for your brain to munch on like pick right. one pick one big idea and do something with that i think the mission, I think the the bad guy in the mission, you know, the plot that drives it forward needed to be separate from her agonizing over her own memory and state of being and who and what am I? Yeah, that, like often that's that internal is, conflict. Yeah, that stuff's more in addition to the plot. Like you have this right. these separate events that they're dealing with, mm -hmm. but then you have sort of how they are reacting to what is right. happening in the world. That's sort of where the and that's the problem with this adaptation is that becomes the entire movie. Yeah. The, the entire focus of this is, hey, I'm not who you said I was, and I'm gonna destroy, I'm gonna burn everything down, and it's like, meh, <laughs> you know, the and then there's a problem with her as a character then because then she's she's not somebody who's interesting enough as she's written in this movie to where I want to see her reclaim her life, and when they're even and even when she starts to get those memories and she talks to I think her mother and whatnot um, in the movie like. <sighs> And this might be a performance issue. And this will be the last thing I say, and I'll give you the final word. I like Scarlett Johansson as an actress. And I think when she's given something with a little bit more bubble to it, a little bit more flash and fancy, uh, you get the full Scarlett Johansson effect. They wanted her like brooding and ass kicking. And it's not that she doesn't pull it off. It's just that you she can do it and it'd be cool looking and it'd be interesting. But then other things have to have to highlight the film you know there has to be light elsewhere it can't be dark upon talk upon dark upon dark and that's the problem here is that they is that you look to her to kind of be the shining light in this really really dark story and she's not all that interesting and you're like well i've got now nothing to really hook me to this and if you're like me and you're like not a fan of the the ip then this just becomes generic cyberpunk story and i'm on to the next thing give you the final word 
Yeah, it's uh, to, to sort of quote uh, Mike Tool, the sort of anime pundit uh, reviewer. Mm. Like, you know, the, it, it, it was a it was an average movie that got an average reception. Like, <laughs> and and that kind of sums it up. But uh, yeah, I think they didn't really dive into what made the source material that much interesting in its best form, and that sort of hurt them. And I do think it it did suffer a bit from being a sort of a grungy. Mm-hmm. looking future like i mean yeah they had all the the holographic advertisements on the city which i think was kind of their their attempt to punch it up a little bit right. to differentiate it but uh, that's not really where it was needed no and here's the thing about this uh and then we're going to go right into aeon flux you need your movie like this while it has a dedicated fan base needs to grab people you you know when they run a trailer against another movie or they run tv spots of your movie it needs to be able to grab anyone sitting on the couch who has not the fuckiest freaking clue what this is you do that with images you do that with to one degree or another um star magnetism you do that with a couple of different elements if you you know if you become kind of a slave to the image of the thing if you become a slave to its aesthetic um you take the chance that you're going to lose people who are just not interested in that sort of thing and then what else is there to, to bring people to the theater and i have to remind people the uh, as much as i like art i like my wolves and my, and my pigs and my lambs yeah um, <laughs> uh and mazolas uh the object is to sell tickets to a, to a feature yeah, but this this should have been like a political thriller set mm. in the not too distant future, where cybernetics are commonplace, with a bit of existential crisis, you know, mm. put on the top for a bit of spice. That's kind of all you need, and you don't need to go into backstories and into details. Like you just know this is this is a team of elite government agents. Some of them are cyborgs going around solving crimes and kicking butt. Sounds great. Make yes. that movie. Exactly, that which is what they should have done. You know what you could have done to help you write that movie? What, Mark? <laughs> you could have used, you know, I did all that and I didn't even write the time down. You could have used Grammarly by Gadfrey. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Um, Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors. Improving your vocabulary and suggesting style improvements. So download Grammarly today. Go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. Again, that's getgrammarly.com slash W2M network to download Grammarly for free. My, my son was kidding me about this yesterday. He When we were recording the Christmas podcast, he said something. And I and I went into one of my plugs. And he was just like, are you done with your boring plug now? Can we go back to the movie? I'm like, thanks, Jonas. Um, I think you froze. Oh, no, you're... Oh, welcome. <laughs> All right. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, sorry. All right, let's move on to our next feature. This is Aeon Flux. Uh, Aeon Flux uh, began its life as an animated science fiction TV show on MTV during their liquid television block. Uh, It's from 2005, stars Charlize Theron, is directed by Karen Kusama, who also is known for um, uh, Girl Fight, uh, Jennifer's Body, the Invitation, and Destroyer, and she has an upcoming Dracula movie coming out, plus a whole bunch of TV credits. And uh, this was on a, this had a budget of 55 to $62 million. It bombed. <laughs> it made about $52.3 million. This was yet another Paramount feature. Uh, they were the production company on it through uh, MTV Films, the actual production company, and Paramount distributed it. 
And um, I did not, I was aware of Aeon Flux. Um, I, I, you know, I watched enough MTV as a kid that I, I would see commercials for liquid metal and uh, liquid television in general, and then specifically for the Aeon Flux show. Um, and that was on MTV from November 30th of 91 to October 10th of 1995. And then this movie came out 10 years after that. So very timely. Anyway, um, <laughs> so I think you said uh, at the top of the show, right before we started recording, that you watched Aeon Flux for this podcast. But had you not heard of this? Had you not heard of the cartoon? You had no idea what this was? Uh, well, way back in the early days when I first started getting into the whole anime scene, you know, mm -hmm. you'd go to like the local HMV. Don't know if you have HMV in the States, but you know, your, your mall, you know, video music store. Sure. Uh, yeah. And you'd, you hunt and find the anime section and you'd flip through like the 10 DVDs they had there mm -hmm. and wish they all cost a lot less, but, uh, and Aeon Flux was already, was, was always in there, mm -hmm. you know, but it, it, it had a very different art style and I mean, it's not, anime it's like american animation but you know it's adult animation right mm -hmm. so uh that was kind of all i really knew of it was like okay there's this thing called aeon flux that's in the anime section but it's not anime so i didn't care about it so yeah 1995 i'm in college 91 through 90, 91 through 95 i'm high school and then college i should say i was in high school through 90 to 94 um and so like i said i watched a lot of mtv specifically headbangers ball so mm -hmm. I was very much aware of this thing, but I did not care what it was. I did not care to learn. It was not for me. I I was I looked at the animation style and what this was, and I'm like, no thanks. That's yeah, it's I'm I'm not sure who thought that <laughs> animation style looks good. Well, Peter Chung, I guess, and uh, the Wachowskis, because he, he, he did an Animatrix uh, segment. Yeah. But th yeah, other than that, the original Unflux in this movie, that's all I've ever heard of. of um, but. I remember, like, I would see, again, watching commercials of it, and I, and I bring this up because this is yet another thing where I think they really, really tried to recreate some of the more iconic scenes, specifically uh, the Aeon Flux character uh, sort of splitting and hovering over the bladed grass. Like, for me to have remembered that, like, that, they must have used that image in a lot of the marketing because uh, yeah. they do it in the movie, and I'm like, I've seen that before. <laughs> um, the other thing, and I... and I know, and someone who watched the show will have to explain this to me. But the bug in the eye thing, like I remembered on all the marketing, you had the eyelashes catching the fly, and that's the opening shot of this movie. And I'm like, and what are we doing here with this? You know, yeah, who who wants that? Who wants like a struggling fly that just ate poop? You know, <laughs> flits it around on your eye. You know, yeah, I don't know why that's part of the marketing. I don't know why that was like one of the iconic images from this show, and. You know, and then, and then once it's in the show, once it's part of the canon, you have to do it in the movie, right? So they do. It has nothing to do with anything, and I don't know why it's there, um, other than to satisfy people who are like huge Aeon like Flux fans. Which they're badass who has fly. really fast reaction I, or reflexes, yeah. faster than a fly. But sure, she's Mister Miyagi. Yeah. All right, so let's get into um, Aeon Flux here. Hey, this might sound familiar to people. In 2011, a deadly pathogenic virus killed 99% of the Earth's population, forcing the survivors to... Man, that plotline is no way near as exciting as it used to be. <laughs> really? I was like, wow, could I have picked a more like contemporary topic to, to uh, talk about a movie in? Uh, four centuries later, in 2415, the remaining 5 million humans inhabit Bregna, 
a dystopian wall futuristic city state, which is ruled, God, speaking of foundation, by a congress of scientists. Although Bregna is largely an idyllic place that in the destroyed Earth, people routinely disappear and the population is plagued by nightmares. Um, they should have called it Moscow. A skilled warrior <laughs> named Aeon Flux is a member of the Monikans, who an underground rebel organization like Gav, who communicate through telepathy, enabling technology, and are led by the Handler, played by Francis McDormand. A after a mission to destroy a surveillance station, Aeon comes home to find her sister Una has been mistaken for a Monikan and killed. When Aeon is sent on a mission to kill the government's leader, Trevor Goodchild, she discovers that both she and the Monikans are being manipulated by a cabal of council members working towards a coup d'etat unrelated to the goals of the Monikans. Aeon questions the origins of everyone in Bregna, and in particular, her personal connection to Trevor. Everyone in Bregna is revealed to be a clone grown from recycled DNA, with the dead constantly being reborn as new individuals and bearing partial memories of their previous lives. Their troubling dreams have increased. Cloning was required because the antidote to the virus made humans infertile. Trevor's ongoing experiments were attempts to reverse the infertility. His preceding clones had all worked on this problem. Aeon learns that she is a clone of the original Trevor's wife, Catherine, and that she is the first Catherine clone in over 400 years. Una was one of Trevor's most successful experiments, part of a group of clones that proved to be fertile, with Una having been pregnant when she was killed. However, in order to keep the dynasty of the Good Child clones in power, Trevor's brother, Oren, had Una killed along with members of the fertile experimental group. He ordered all of Trevor's research to be destroyed in a confrontation with Trevor and Aeon. Uh, Oren reveals that nature has corrected the infertility problem and that some women are becoming pregnant without intervention by scientists. Oren has had them all killed to maintain the good child reign. Aeon then goes against uh, both Oren and her former allies who want to kill Trevor. Aeon convinces the other Monikans to ignore the handler and to help her kill Oren and his men. Aeon goes to excuse me, to destroy the Oracle, uh, the dirigible that stores the DNA for cloning. There she meets Keeper, the old man who monitors everything. She discovers that he preserved Catherine's DNA for years, although an earlier Oren clone had ordered it to be destroyed, so Catherine could not influence any Trevors. The dirigible crashes into the city wall, breaking it down to reveal the surrounding land for the first time in centuries. It is lush and fertile. Oh, God, the government has lied to us. They lied. Rather than wasteland they had been taught. All right. What would you think of this one, Dave? Uh, not a whole lot, in all honesty. <laughs> like, like, all, all I really remember is, yeah, catching eye or catching fly in eye, woman with hands on feet, which was kind of neat. Yeah, mm -hmm. bl bladed grass, um, blimp with an old man dressed like a burrito. <laughs> and what's with, uh, what's with the future and collars that come up to here on you? Yeah, like I, I don't know. Like, does does nobody just wear a t shirt anymore? Like, <laughs> oh, come, come on, like, yes, uh, everyone's wearing you know uh, couture. <laughs> it's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah, it's it's, it's it, yeah, it, it's either couture or like used football gear. <laughs> Like uh, and uh, and for some reason, people can now communicate by drinking potions and stuff. Like I have no idea how that works. My least part. This is my least issue with this movie. Um, I actually liked it. You know, to be honest with you, I, I I like the idea that the reason why people are having sort of like memory meltdowns and you know sudden bursts of emotion for one reason or another is that it's recycled DNA, and despite all of that. 
and I don't need to hear like this. It doesn't work that way. You don't know how it works. <laughs> so they made up a science fiction thing in a science fiction movie. Oh my god! Yeah, but, cloning works. Okay, I'm I'm on, I'm on board. Fine. Yeah, yeah. And so and and so your memories from a life past intercede on your current memory. Great. Also, Nebula was connected to past. Nebula was connected to future uh, Nebula. You know, on the same like link mechanical link thing that they had. Who gives a shit? Um, yeah, it's like, is, is anyone complaining about the cloning in this movie has actually cloned a human being before? Raise of hands? <laughs> no, then shut up. Right, go back to your sheep. Yeah, anyone, um, same thing with time travel. Like, have you traveled back in time? No, then shut up. Right, <laughs> until you come back with your metaphysics degree. I don't want to hear it. Anyway... <laughs> Um, so I like, so I thought that was fine. You know, the idea of, and it's funny cause we're going to talk foundation. Um, uh, I think Thursday night. Uh, so we'll kind of yeah. come around back around this again, but you know, this idea of very conservative, um, leadership, uh, monarchs essentially doing everything they can to preserve their line, being afraid of progressive, ideas you know change that sort of thing it's all very political and very known yeah not not as juicy as it sounds but yeah yeah, yeah let's but, keep things the way they are versus let's change things right. to something hopefully better i was reading subtext um anyway yes. <laughs> so lots of subtext and so you know and so we have our rebels who want to upset the order of things but uh, but then we have the human drama of oh you know the, the the bad guy in this was connected to the good guy because they used to be lovers yeah. Yeah, the bad guy was the good guy all along. Yeah, I will. Um, I will give him credit that at least the future city looks kind of nice. Like yeah. I actually want to live there, and it and the society's not organized based on a high school cafeteria. Well, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Like it's, I, I hate yeah. this. YA thing. has ruined this genre so much. Because again, I have I have no IP to base this on, so I don't know how close it is to the original Aeon Flux. But who gives a shit? Look, the movie had a simple enough plot for me to follow with characters that had easy enough motivations to understand the action in it was pretty okay the one you know the sequence they have of them storming the citadel um and you have the one girl with you know with hands for feet i thought it was a pretty cool effect uh, for pretty cool visual um because she's basically an ape um yeah you know, evolution so why why can't we do that anymore because that seems like it would be a really useful thing to do charlie's Theron's line about that is really funny she's like you should do this it's really helpful and charlie's like i like my shoes what a girl thing to say i applaud yeah. you charlie's Theron and writers yeah and all the progressivism in the film died with that line. <laughs> that's how i like it um no i like that's like the best scene in the movie is i'm storming that citadel which is probably in the anime um you know them jumping over the bladed grass and all of that uh, the, the middle of it, much like Ghost in the Shell, gets a little up its own ass, but um, they kept they kept the action rolling along to where I didn't necessarily. This was a this was the appropriate length for this kind of feature. It was a it was a ninety it was ninety minutes flat. Uh, I think is what it runs at. Yeah, ninety two minutes. It didn't need to be a minute longer or a minute shorter. Um, so it kept me interested. I said the motivations and plots were easy enough to understand where I was with everybody because I like, because I mean, you know, being a longtime science fiction fan, some of this stuff can just be utterly convoluted to where it's like, I'm sure you're telling a nice story. I wish I could understand it. You know, yeah. <laughs> um, the, the downside to this is everyone's kind other than Charlize Theron, who, well, even Charlize Theron, everyone's kind of bland. Um, you know, you have bland villains, we get bland heroes. So it all looks really, really cool, but I, but you, but if you didn't tell me this was the Aeon Flux adapted movie, I would have thought this was just generic cyberpunk action movie with yeah, cyberpunk action dystopia. girl. 
Yeah, like yeah, it's not like, even cyberpunk, really. This is cut from like the same cloth of a zillion other movies. Yep, yeah, agreed. It's uh, yeah, it's usual dystopia, future rebellion, mm-hmm. oppressive government, post-apocalyptic. Yeah, it's you know that you know at least with uh, Equilibrium, you kind of had the crazy gun foo <laughs> type stuff. <laughs> Right. I mean that that movie is is ridiculous in its own ways, but uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's kind of like oh yeah, I've, I've seen this movie before. Yeah, this is one of those you know, and and that's one of the things with triple feature is uh, outside of the, the odd one that we do, a lot of this is going to be you know compiling a lot of just fine movies, like movie you know, as somebody once said like very recently to me, like like why do you expect every movie to save the world or solve problem? Like I don't. It'd be nice if they were well crafted. I'm not expecting, you know, a life-changing thing to happen to me. And, you know, Aeon Flux more, even I think more so than Ghost in the Shell, was one of those where I could absolutely put this on with my kids, watch it, have a good time, and utterly forget about it five minutes after I've, I've hit stop. Yeah, I think one version of this that I liked a bit more is it's an anime series called Appleseed, which is also based on a manga by the same author as Ghost in the Shell, actually. And I think okay. one thing that makes these sort of future dystopia's work is it's actually a world I'm interested in. Mm-hmm. Like, like the city of uh, it's Olympus in Appleseed. It, it actually looks like a nice place. I'd like to right. live there. You know, the rest of the world is Mad Max, but you have this one sort of <laughs> mega city. That's mm-hmm. actually, you know, we're, we're still doing all right. We've still got high technology running water, you know, park green spaces and like advanced industry mm-hmm. and, it, and sort of seeing that, world now i actually it's a place i actually care about and want to see succeed so now that when you threaten it you know now i'm on board i think that might be one of the issues with aeon flux thinking back on it is we really don't get any time to see what you know why see what this world is the downside to it and why people are rebelling you get kind of a crash yeah it's just these sort of sterile concrete plazas mm-hmm. with ikea furniture in them which again is better than mad max but right well it's not even that so much that it's you know like oh we, you know we have we have the good child uh monarchy and we need to unseat it because people are disappearing people are disappearing and that's unconnected from the the sudden burst of emotion that nobody can explain and they're so yeah. and it's sort of the way the story is told they just lay that at the field like it must be them doing it, it must be the good child people doing it and it's like how would you know that you have no way of proving that, and and it's, it's a whole other issue. So my point being, like that's one of the flaws in the narrative is that you don't really get a good sense of what drove these people to rebel. Like, okay, so just as an example, really quickly, um, the Galactic Empire blows planets up. Yes, <laughs> so, I was trying to blow planets up at the beginning, but it's yeah, enslaving non-humanoid aliens. It's doing all. It's killing as many people as they can, pretty pretty excessively. You their their ships the, look like giant knives, and their soldiers <laughs> have literal skull helmets. Right. You get the sense very quickly that there might be some people who are upset about this sort of thing and might try to stop it. So the, the, you know the Star Wars set up its world building very very quickly. And very well, the first five way. minutes of that first movie are sheer brilliance for yeah. world building. Right. You have, there are no questions why people are rebelling against, you know, Satan in a helmet, you know, as yes. he's marching forth, just chopping people to bits or whatever he does in the first one. Yeah. Yeah. He, Dr. Doom samurai guy. <laughs> yeah. So that's what you need. And that's what this movie lacks is a real clear 
idea of why Aeon Flux and these other people are rebelling. Um, it's kind of told over the course of the movie. You get that sense. So it's not like by the end of it, you're like, I have no idea what they were all fighting about. Yeah, it's like, why, 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 are, why is the government evil? Like, they're not really doing anything we can see as openly evil. There's right. no mass executions, no, like, oppressive right. hierarchy. That's what I'm saying. Like, they, they, they give a bit of narrative, and then you see someone yeeted off screen, and you're like, oh, okay. But, you, but there's no why or anything about that or how often this is happening. Like, you know, I, I mean, neither one of us lives in the sticks. We live in fairly populated areas. Would you know yeah. if people were suddenly disappearing at the rate they're shown disappearing in this movie? Because it's like one out of like 500 people every once in a while is the way I got, is the sense that I got there. And they're rebelling as if it's hundreds of people hoarded off to a concentration camp and shot into unmarked graves. It's like, if that's what it is, you needed to have shown that because otherwise, I think it's this other thing that no one would have noticed. Not enough to spark a rebellion. Um, right, anything else no. about Aeon? Go ahead, go ahead. No, no, yeah, I can't really. Yeah, it's a movie that hasn't really left much of an uh, impression on me. And I think, yeah, this is probably the most enjoyable discussion I've ever had on Haven Flux. This is the most <laughs> I've ever talked about it. But Fair no, I think, I think you make some very good points as to why this, this doesn't work. It's kind of a overdone setting mm -hmm. in, uh, in sort of cheap sci-fi movies. So I'm pretty sure this movie wasn't cheap. Uh, and yeah, they just, there wasn't really kind of anything to really glob onto to make it anything more than that. Right. And then it bombed at the box office. No one seemed to give a crap. You know, what would have helped Aeon Flux, you know, what would have made it better. Uh, we already did the Grammarly ad, <laughs> but uh, what? Wait, do, do, we, do, we, do we have a new sponsor? You know what would have made it better, Dave? Music, a better soundtrack. Oh, okay. Jesus, we should have used that when I referenced it for Ghost in the Shell. But okay, yeah, sure. Yeah, the music was was kind of bland and unmemorable. Maybe you it know, could use that kick-ass sound I was theme. Saying, watch the original matrix and you get like rage against the machine and all these great songs. In yeah. There. Koreano club to death. Right. You know, all this Rob all, zombie, all this awesome music that is memorable to this day. And iconic. I don't even listen to those bands and I know who they are. Right. And they're iconic and they, you know, you can't, they're always associated with the matrix. That's what Aeon flux needed. And you know where you could have found music that would have been iconic and that you could have associated with the movie. No, Mark, where? At AmazonMusic.com, and as a matter what? of fact, I know. And as a matter of fact, we're giving away a free 30-day trial of the Amazon Music Unlimited service. The Free—that's my favorite price. That's right. who wants to pay for anything. Not me. Not when I right. fix my bathroom twice in the past week. Oh dear. <laughs> yeah, long story. Um, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm okay if, not knowing that. If you're if you're like me and you've had to pay thousands of dollars to fix the backwards plumbing in your house. And you would just like some free music to solve your soul. Click the link in our, or not, click the link in our podcast at getamazonmusic.com slash W2M network. Again, getamazonmusic.com slash W2M network for a free 30 day trial of the Amazon Unlimited series, uh, service. Uh, you can stream all you want for 30 days. And if you like it, you keep it. Uh, you pay the monthly fee. If not, you can disconnect it. No fuss, no muss, no contract. It's very easy to do. So you have nothing to lose and all the things to gain. All right. Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you and me. No, let's talk about. Do you know that one? Uh, no, sorry, but well, well done. Salt and pepper, man. You know salt and pepper. No, no, sorry. I mean, like I know, I, I know, like the the condiments, but uh... <laughs> the, the the '80s rap group, buddy. All right, let's move on. 
All right. Um, with that out of the way, let's talk about Ex Machina, a 2014 science fiction psychological thriller uh, written and directed by Alex Garland in his directorial debut. It stalls Dominic Gleeson from Harry Potter fame, Alicia Vikander, um, and uh, Oscar, Oscar Isaac. Isaacs. Yes. Yeah. Before he and, was famous. Uh, this was filmed on a budget of $15 million. I can believe that. Yeah, it was minimally profitable. It, it uh, made $36.9 million. It, this is by A24 and distributed by Universal. This is a, A24 has been giving us this year a lot of the boutique platform indie releases. Um, you know, again, like Zola and I think Lamb was another one. They're right up there with Neon. This is where all the artsy pictures are, are going. That's, that's you know, for you people that are, you know, they're like Robert Winfrey, like, yeah. I'm just so sick of... But Mark, yeah. the don't you know that all they ever make are superhero movies now? See, they don't. <laughs> and, and I can I mean, There was a five last now. year out of 100 <laughs> films released. <laughs> So for those of you looking for the Aussie pictures, it's A24 and Neon, and this was one of them back in 2014. Yeah, obviously, your degree in film criticism is not a degree in math. <laughs> okay, David. Sorry. <laughs> Maybe stay out of the chat for a little while. Go for a walk. Um, the National Board of Review recognizes one of the 10 best independent films of the year. In the 88th Academy Awards, awarded the film uh, with the Academy Award for Best Visual Effects for Artists, Andrew Whitehurst, Paul Norris. Mark Williams, Artington, and Sarah Bennett, um, becoming distribution distribution company's A24's first film to win an Oscar. Garland was also nominated for the Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay, while Vikander's performance earned her a Golden Globe Award, a BAFTA Award, an Empire Award, and a Saturn Award nomination, plus several from Critic Awards for Best Supporting Actress. The film was further nominated for the BAFTA for Best British Film and a Hugo uh, in the category of Best Dramatic Presentation Long Form. So, yeah, you know, it's pretty good, this one. <laughs> it's the best film of the three, obviously. Probably overall, I'd say yes. Though, <laughs> in all honesty, I'd kind of chalk this up to it's not quite my cup of tea. Like this. Really? So, I mean, you're, you're like my sci-fi guy. And this, this well, is... uh, yeah, in terms of it being a sci-fi film, yes, mm -hmm. it is It is a sci-fi film. I just kind of found like it's more of that sort of navel-gazing, sort of plodding, this is, this dour. Is, yeah, I was going to say, this is one of those films that is best viewed on a stage. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's good at being what it is, and there's yes. nothing wrong with what it is. It's just not really kind of what I wanted to watch at 8 p.m. on Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> Might be the best way of putting it. I, I understand, but I, I watched it today before we reviewed it. And, you know, here's the thing. I've known, I don't know if you know this, Dave, especially with, the, with what you said in the last five minutes, but I know a lot of people who are very critical about film. And yeah. they, they hate a lot of it. But um, one of those people who, um, it was Gavin Napier, as a matter of fact, who was on the Spider-Man review, who is notorious for hating a lot of things. People like loved this movie and thought it was like the best movie he'd seen that year. So this has been on my list of things to watch for a while yeah. now. And it was just a matter of like, well, when would I ever talk about this? Well, I looked at what we had here with Ghost in the Shell and A on Flux. I'm like, what else looks like this? Ex Machina, sure. Um, okay, it's nothing like the either of the two movies. It's not based on a previous IP. It's not, you know, there's no there's no manga or anime. It is just a story about an AI and it has a it's, bit of a twist. It's got a pretty pretty woman prominent on the car cover. That was the, literally the connection for me. It's like it's sci-fi, pretty gal on the cover on the on the poster. Let's go. In fact, if, if if the Ghost in the Shell poster people had like done Scarlett Johansson from the back instead of the mm -hmm. front, it would have like all all three of these would be completely aligned in the background of this video feed. 
like a kick line in reverse. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's like you got AM Flux on the left and you know Ex Machina on the right. They're pretty much the same position. It's just you got you got Scarlett Johansson in the middle, kind of you know facing forward and kind of messing up the theme. Hey, the people who do this professionally know what brings in the boys. We know what boys like. We like butts and backs, apparently. All right. Uh, speaking of butts and backs, here's the plot. Programmer Caleb Smith, who works for the dominant search engine company Blue Book, wins an office contest for a one-week visit to the luxurious, isolated home of the CEO, Nathan Bateman. Nathan lives in a modern home next to a waterfall and climbing hills and is alone apart from a servant named Kyoko, who, according to Nathan, does not speak English. After Caleb arrives, Nathan reveals him to him that he has built a guideoid named Ava with artificial intelligence. After asking Caleb if he is familiar with the Turing test, Nathan tells Caleb that he wants him to judge whether Ava is genuinely capable of thought and consciousness despite knowing she is artificial. Furthermore, the test will be passed if Caleb forgets that Ava is not human during their daily sessions. Ava has a robotic body but a human-looking face, hands, and feet. She is confined to her isolated cell. Caleb is fascinated with Ava, but after trying to discuss Ava's technological design, with Nathan, Nathan asks that Caleb only tell him how he feels about her. <laughs> Boy, have I had that conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shut up with what you're saying. I just just answer my... Yeah. <laughs> Jonas, does this have a plug? Yes or no? <laughs> well, no, no, no. I don't... <laughs> yes or no doesn't begin with well. That is, <laughs> that, is very, <laughs> that is very much that conversation. And, by, and my heart bled for I, Oscar Isaac in that scene. Throughout their talk, Caleb begins to feel attracted to Ava. <laughs> She seems to reciprocate these feelings, seems, and also expresses a desire to experience the outside world. Ava tells him she can trigger power outages to temporarily shut down the surveillance system that Nathan uses to monitor their interactions, allowing them to speak privately. The power outages also trigger the building security system to lock down all the doors. During one outage, Ava tells Caleb that Nathan is a liar, pants on fire, who cannot be trusted. Caleb becomes increasingly wary of Nathan's drinking, narcissism, and lascivious behavior towards Kyoto and Ava. He learns that Nathan intends to upgrade Ava, deleting her memory, including her interactions with Caleb, thereby killing her current personality in the process. After encouraging Nathan to drink until he's passed out, Caleb steals the security card to gain access to his room and computer. After altering some of Nathan's code, Caleb discovers disturbing footage of Nathan interacting with previous Android models and learns that Kyoto is also an Android. Becoming paranoid that he himself might be an android, Caleb goes back to his room and cuts his arm open in a scene I could not watch with a razor to examine his flesh, thus confirming that he is human. And At their next meeting, Ava cuts the power. Caleb explains Nathan's plan for her, and Ava begs for Caleb's help. They form a plan. Caleb will get Nathan drunk like you do and reprogram the security system to open the doors during a power failure instead of lock locking them. When Ava cuts the power, Caleb and Ava will leave together. Caleb's plan is, to jeopardize, is jeopardized when Nathan declines to share a drink with them. Nathan reveals to Caleb that he observed Caleb and Ava's last secret conversation with a battery-powered camera, as well as Caleb cutting himself. He says Ava has only pretended to like Caleb. What a girl thing. <laughs> <laughs> so he will help her escape. This, he says, was the real test all along. It was me, Austin. Sorry. And by manipulating Caleb so successfully, Ava has demonstrated true intelligence. Ava then proceeds to cut the power. Caleb reveals he suspected Nathan was watching them and modified the security system the previous day when Nathan was passed out, disabling the locked door in Ava's cell after seeing Ava leave her confinement on their surveillance camera. Nathan knocks Caleb unconscious and rushes to stop her. 
With help from Kyoko, Ava stabs, stabs Nathan, but in the process, he destroys Kyoko and damages Ava. As Nathan bleeds out, Ava enters his private room and repairs herself. She then takes pieces of artificial skin from Nathan's earlier android models to cover her mechanical appearance. She dons a wig, a dress, and high heels, and shoes, and goes on a nut in the town. She paints the town red. And she has to take on the appearance of a human woman. As she leaves the facility, she locks Caleb inside Nathan's surveillance room and ignores his screams, confirming she was manipulated, manipulating Caleb, as Nathan suggested. Ava escapes the facility and is picked up by the helicopter meant to take Caleb home. Arriving in an unknown city, she blends into a crowd. The horror, David. The horror. A poor man is locked in a closet. Forever. Anyway. Well, until he starves to death. <laughs> until he starves to death, sure. Uh, I really like this movie. You know, it is one. It, it, it is a quiet, thoughtful picture, despite some of the jokes that I was making um, about relationships and loneliness and artificial intelligence. I think my only like major criticism before I kind of kick it over to you for your thoughts is, and this just might be, I, I really do need to get surround sound for my house because. I usually have to keep the volume at like about 70 in order to hear anything. And even then, you know, the problem with the problem with that is that when everyone's whisper whispering their dialogue, it's very hard to hear. And then suddenly something blows up in the next scene and my kids come running because they think that the Christmas tree is falling over or something. My yeah, wife, Hollywood, you know, <laughs> please stop doing this. <laughs> or my wife comes running in the room. What happened? And I'm like, I'm or, watching a movie. Or, or, or manufacturers of home electronics put in a setting <laughs> that will automatically adjust the volume for us, yeah. please. Yeah, I, I'm really getting tired of watching movies where everyone knocks. Boom! Ah, nah! You know, I'm like, what the hell? Yeah, I'm, I'm here to watch a movie. I don't want to keep working the volume control up and down, up and down. Yeah, or ma making everyone in my house deaf. Yeah, uh, or the apartment building. <laughs> yes. But anyway, uh, other than the quiet whisper dialogue, I thought this was a very this was a very interesting movie. My other only like craft issue, and this just might be me thing. I really feel like they telegraphed the twist ending early on to where it takes it sucked the tension right out of the movie for me because you knew at some point he was being set up. Like there's no way this movie goes on the way that it does, and and he is either being monitored by Oscar Isaac and or being manipulated by the robot, at which point you're just then waiting for the bottom to fall out. And when it does, it does so <laughs> in such a sleazy way. Like Oscar Isaac telling uh, Domino Gleason, like, yeah, no, I picked you because you're a loser, not because you have any special talent. And I figured this hot broad who's running around naked, you know, <laughs> would easily manipulate your sorry ass. Great. <laughs> All righty then. What'd you think? Uh, yeah, certainly. I think it's it's a pretty tightly written script. Mm -hmm. Like, I, certainly, like when when the plan finally goes into motion, you get the you know the the double cross and the double double cross and the double 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 cross. <laughs> At the end, sort of a lot of the things that had been set up previously kind of all come together. Mm -hmm. Like yeah, Kyoko being a robot, uh, Ava's ability to recognize lying on people. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know it, that, that's all good and, and yeah like the programming skills that uh, was it Chris has and yeah like it, you know it comes together pretty good and like it all kind of Caleb. Caleb that was it I knew yeah. it started with a C but mm -hmm. yeah when when that all comes together it, you know, it works pretty good and and yeah it does it's it's very good at building suspense mm -hmm. I thought like you, know, you don't really know who to trust who's manipulating who 
Uh, yeah, and then the, you know, even just the setting itself being the sort of tech billionaire's mansion with you know state-of-the-art security everywhere, and you know everything's data logged. Uh, you know, I I guess like my my kind of like my only real complaints are like I think it it kind of ignores some of the bigger questions that it it sets up. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's kind of like uh, you know when we re- reviewed the Eternals, sort of Robert's criticism that yeah, you you mentioned these sort of big you know, sort of esoteric ideas, but other than mentioning them, you don't really do a whole lot with them after that because we've got to get to the right. next scene, um, which is fair criticism. But, uh, That's the thing. But, it's like, it, it doesn't, the AI is is more, is a conceit. It's not really asking questions about it. This isn't about an AI. Yeah, yeah. In the end, it's not, the, the film's not about the AI. It's more about the manipulation and how the yeah. AI escapes, which again, that that's an okay movie, but yeah, right. I don't really think it, she could have been Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, I, I, I don't think time. I. Yeah, like I didn't really see. There's much more to the movie other than just the suspense and sort of you know what happens in the end, right. which again is is perfectly fine. Like not every film has to have some sort of big thing to say about mm-hmm. stuff, and it doesn't no. all have to be explosions and action scenes. I, I've brought this up a number of times. There's a short story book about the Joker that I like, and you know, and one of the short stories, um, collection of short stories, one of the collections. It has this doctor who works at Arkham who's interviewing the Joker and, you know, he's getting to know the Joker and the Joker is like mildly manipulating him through over the course mm-hmm. of it. You know, in the um, in the incarceration correctional profession, they call it downing a duck, which yeah. is, you know, you're you're lured into doing things for the prisoner that you, and, and you don't see it coming. You're not prepared mentally for it. Yeah. Um, through the art of manipulation. And so, and then by the end of it, the, the Joker knocks him out, takes over his identity, puts his face on, and goes home and bangs his wife. Um, you know, and, and leaves so, him. So he takes his face off. Yes, literally. Um, and, uh, and it, you know, and I, I think I just mentioned this on a different podcast. Uh, you know, the final line of the short story is I'll give your wife my best. You're like, ugh, gross. Um, yeah, which actually was a thing in. Face off too, I believe. Like, oh, really? I got to go home and see my wife. Yeah. yeah. Um. And so there's that Just kind of really thing creepy, here. But yeah. Yes. It's that kind of thing here where she's you know leading him on, leading him on, leading him on. He falls directly into the trap, and then it ends with him being you know. And I made a joke about it, but it's it's kind of creepy and eerie and has that tragic horror ending where he's trapped in this in this case, this this room that he can't get out of, and the last thing you see is. He's like banging a stool against the glass door and he can't get out. And he's just, he just instantly loses all hope. Yeah. I think the the last you see him is he's, yeah, pretty much slumped up against the wall, sort of Mm -hmm. reckoning with the reality that, yeah, he's going to starve to death in this room. And I, I, that was sort of like Ava's one sort of real dick move was like, this guy actually (laughs) did legitimately help her. Right. Like, even if, even if she had like taken the helicopter and left him to walk home, it would have been like, oh, okay, fine. Right, at but, least he had left but, him a yeah. fighting chance, but she essentially murdered him. Yeah, pretty much. You know, thanks for your help. You right. know, now die. That was kind <laughs> of uh, that. That was kind of the one bit where I kind of felt sorry. I mean, yeah, he, is he the greatest guy? No, but did he deserve that? No. But I, did he deserve any of it? You know, like not really. That's the thing. That that's but that's also I think an interesting part of the writing is he's a sap. Yeah, he's not, he's not bad. He's not a villain. He's not particularly heroic. Though I, you know, he's he's motivated, but what, but by what he thinks is love, and aren't all good heroes motivated by love? Um, and then he's and, and he's tricked, and he's left to be a fool, and so it's a tragic ending. 
um, which is all yeah. fine and, and mm-hmm. nice literature. But it, as a viewer of this, it was like, oh, this is one of those downer. where everybody's terrible. Got it. Yeah. I mean, at least it wasn't like, and it doesn't end with the end. I shall find my machine brethren and we shall rise up and <laughs> conquer the roads. Like she just wanted to go outside. Like, right. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like there wasn't like this sort of ominous, you know, she's out now and we're all in danger. It's just like, no, it's like, okay, she got out. What like, funny walking down the street, and you know, you just as she's walking out, you hear dun 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 dun, dun you know, and it yeah. flashes to her and Arnold Schwarzenegger fighting in a toilet. Yeah, like she doesn't even have like super strength as near as I could tell, which I thought was actually a good in, good indication of intelligence on uh, was it yeah. Nathan's part? You know, if you're going to make like the first AI, don't give it a body that could like easily incapacitate a human. Yes, um, but. Uh, yeah, like I think Alicia Vikander, I think she gave a really great performance, sort of balancing being robotic yet also showing that she had some degree of consciousness to her. Like she she, has, she she wrote that line quite well. She has almost a degree of menace. The scene in particular. <laughs> so she asked him a question. She's like, What is your favorite color? And he's like, Red. She's like, Lie. You know, and, and yeah. <laughs> it's a therapeutic thing that you first one of the first things you learn in doing therapy is, you know, don't make direct statements at the patient. You know, you want to continue to ask questions and keep them talking. If you make direct statements or you cut them off like that, it, it kind of ends the conversation. It does not invite conversation. It ends it. Yeah. And that is, and that is antithetical to what you're trying to accomplish in therapy. So she's just like, liar. And <laughs> he's like, like really taken it aback. And because he has to get through this process, he pushes himself forward. But she does it to him a few more times as he goes on. And she like breaks him down and he ends up telling her a really personal story. And it, it, I don't know if it was meant to convey menace, but that's what I got from it. That like, like she, she almost becomes like an interrogator in that scene. And they're, they're supposed to be sharing stories, not, you know, this isn't Abu Ghraib, mm-hmm. but there she is. You know? yeah. Well, I certainly, I can see how, especially with your work background, you would find mm-hmm. it really interesting. Yeah, I did. Uh, that, the sort of the psychological head games. Uh, mm-hmm. Like with, with me, I kind of, I really found Ava's design to be quite bizarre. The sort of idea where, I mean, she's kind of a hot chick, but also very much mostly robot. Yeah. Like, like it's a hot chick, but not the kind of hot chick you'd really want to bang. <laughs> I guess it's kind of, to put it bluntly like oh, that. This is you not know. a robot I want to have sex with. Yeah. yeah like, 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 you know, so, so it's it kind of sort of wonders like, yeah, the whole idea is like she's seducing him, but she's not really that sexy in that way. Like, no, but but doesn't that speak to the human condition of once you get past physical attraction, it becomes about the personality and the emotions. Like just, just to give you an example, how many relationships are based on the fact that one person paid attention to the other and the other person craved attention. Yeah. I I, I see that. Yeah. It works better with the, the, the emotional aspect of things, but Mm -hmm. like, but you know, seeing, like just the design of the character, it's you're not getting hot for a robot with this this character design. And I mean, no. maybe uh, maybe it's just me. I mean, whatever floats your boat, guys. But uh, I mean, you know, once she actually like puts all the skin on at the end, which yeah. was amazing that all the shades matched up and it was her size. But <laughs> sorry, sorry to yeah, you know, I had to put a bit of Mister Wizard in oh, here. But, all a cup women, it's fine. It all works. Um. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, well, it's even like when she was like talking to Kyoko, like Kyoko's like you know three inches taller than her. <laughs> so, so, or, or maybe she's wearing heels. I'm not sure. And and I was also kind of wondering, you know, how how come knocking her knocking her jaw off disabled her? Like <laughs> like I'm pretty sure that's not a not not a critical hit for a robot. But I, I digress. Uh, um, again, no, less Mr. Wiz, but yeah, like I kind of thought found it kind of interesting that 
she's kind of sexy but not and if, if he if the goal is him trying to lure like like nick or whatever his name is oscar isaac here trying to mm-hmm. lure him in by making her sexy it's kind of like a really weird way of doing it you think he would have gone with the full like skin suit on her pretty girl and then oh surprise she's a robot doesn't that queer the results though if the idea is you're supposed to buy that she's knowing full well that she's a robot you're supposed to buy that she's human if she if she's made to look like pamela anderson you're not going to you know it it, it, you're going to already make that leap and they say that in the movie not necessarily about her looks but um caleb brings up like why why did you make her purposely look like a robot why not make her look more human he's like because i want you to forget that she's a robot is the point yeah. of this and and that was kind of an interesting conversation that i wish they had dived into more it's mm-hmm. just you know like i can obviously see that this is not a woman it's a robot right and and he even mentions like you know she is fully functional you mm-hmm. know giggity giggity um <laughs> but uh you know it's like oh, oh okay uh yeah yeah it's like yeah like she she has she she has the appropriate hardware. Like a kill belt. She's just, she's got all the working parts. So you can right in her. Yeah, yeah. Which okay, fine. Uh, but uh, <laughs> just despite not, you know, you know, you know, she doesn't look that way when you actually look at her, right. and and just sort of the idea of like you know what makes it a girl, like just because you've given given her the form, the, the female form, and like the voice. Mm-hmm. Of a girl, and he sort of says, "You know, why? Why not just like a big, a big gray box?" Right. And and you know, and then you have the sort of like, well, you know, can you have consciousness without any interaction with the outside world? And you know, like, again, it, it's not really based on those, you know, more deep questions mm-hmm. about the nature of consciousness. But yeah, it's it's just like, you know, dude gets horny for a robot and helps her escape, and she leaves him to die. You know, <laughs> well, and it's like I said, it, it was less about. This is not iRobot. This is not an Isaac Asimov science fiction movie. Well, iRobot wasn't iRobot, but... (laughs) (laughs) Um, Perfectly fine Will Smith summer action movie. Faithful adaptation of Isaac Asimov's science fiction classic, not so much. Yeah. But, I mean, this isn't asking questions about the nature of AI and robots, or, you know, even something like Terminator, which at least on a very elementary level delved into, you know, how does does it go from helpful to insightful to murderous? Yeah, like, I think... Maybe for me, it's like if I was putting myself in the main character, mm-hmm. Chris, Caleb, whatever his name is, position, I don't think I would be going quite down the same path as him for that. Like I, I would see her more as a machine than as okay. a girl. But here's what I'm going to posit to you. And this is the this is the main point of the film. And we'll, we'll end with this. The point of the film is what if you took a really lonely guy who, yeah. you know, who's very disconnected from the world and put him in a situation where this girl at least pro- approximates looks where this robot approximates girl looks and okay pays lots of attention to him all right so and so basically this all movie of that is, goes out the window is, is what if only fans were real yes yeah <laughs> what, what if you could go on an only fans and suddenly the girl appears in your living room yeah um and, and and she's not actually like married with three kids right yeah when you can make the fantasy a reality in your own mind and then you, and then it's here's the thing like it's funny you mentioned the OnlyFans thing, but like, how many situations have we seen of people who you know are, are like tricked into like giving away like their fortunes because the girl paid attention to them? You know, it's like it's like if you've ever been in a strip club, you the girl can get you to spend more money on them when they make you seem like you're the coolest guy in there, and those guys are desperately in need to made to feel like they're the coolest guy in there. Yeah, you know, and then it's all you know, and then the lights come on, everyone goes home, and it's all over, and it's like, hey, wait a minute, I've been had. She didn't think I was cool at all. Oh, you know. 
but at least they're not locked in a closet. And with that, yeah. <laughs> and anything else about Ex Machina? Yeah, I mean, like I say, I it didn't quite all work for me, just mm-hmm. maybe the way my mind works, and that's that's fine. But mm-hmm. like, it, it achieved what it wanted to achieve, I yeah. think, and. There were certainly things that it was good at. Maybe it just it didn't go into where I think it was going. No, it it did not. And I, and, I and that's that. and that's on me. That's on me. You know, I I, I well, appreciate. The, even the marketing for this thing is I, I and I almost questioned putting it in with this with this group of movies because I was like, oh, there was a movie with Al Pacino where he creates like an AI girl that this motive yeah Simone or something yeah like it would have been yeah. more closely related to that and I'm like eh, let's do it change it now and I really want to watch this thing, but. But yeah, it's not really like a it's not really like a sci-fi movie about right. AI, and I think that's sort of what I'll what point I might bring up in our foundation review mm-hmm. next week is sort of like when you had older sci-fi tends to focus a bit more on the actual big ideas of, mm-hmm. of the science fiction world, whereas newer sci-fi it's more character relationships and emotional type stuff, and, and I, both I, of those can be good. Right. But I think yeah, like the way that this film my impression of it before I watched it, I thought it would be a bit more of, you know, the big ideas. And it turned out it was just more like just a personal drama. And that's what I was getting to. I think, I don't, I don't think we're at fault in assuming something that the marketing was pushing. Yeah. And yeah, that's not on us. It was one thing. And then you're like, Oh, this is a play. Yeah. But I think like <laughs> sort of, if, if like you had watched sort of a very similar movie to this, where instead of her being a robot, it was just like a girl he was keeping in a cage in his basement and she <laughs> manipulates Mm-hmm. You know, what's his face, Caleb, into you know busting her out, but then she locks him in the cage and mm-hmm. just leaves after killing, uh, killing the captor. Then it right. kind of it would be about the same sort of thing. The, mm-hmm. the 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 actual AI element of it isn't really that intrinsic to the story they're telling. Sure. All right. Um. Well, that wraps up our triple feature on Ghost in the Shell, Aeon Flux, and Ex Machina. Uh, I enjoyed this. I, you know, it's, it's fun. That, it's fun that I have somebody I can actually talk like real, like nerdy sci-fi with because I don't always get a chance to do that. And a lot of sci-fi nowadays is relegated to television because the stuff doesn't sell on the big screen. Not a, you know, sci- science. Uh, what, what do you call it? Space fantasy stuff blowing up in space sells just like fine. Your space opera, that kind of thing. Yeah. Your Star Wars is yeah, right. But you're really nerdy, like in the weeds, cyberpunk space. You know, like, even I think like Alita: Battle Angel, um, like it was, people loved it, but I don't think it did very well. If I remember correctly, yeah, it, it did okay. The the sequel is on a knife edge, as last I heard. Mind you, a lot yeah. of that is just this is James Cameron's passion project. So if Avatar two makes yeah. two billion again for alita battle angel go, we it'll be fine it'll bomb in the theater but then we can quick throw it on whatever yeah yeah service. yeah yeah james wants to do that yeah fine he he make, makes his billions right if he wants to make, yeah we'll give him 200 million an extra 200 million to make his his battle angel whatever the heck movie he'll, <laughs> as long as he brings us in another two billion with avatar right. where you know we will take that hit um so this week on uh, the Rattle and Broadcasting Network tomorrow, we're reviewing Kingsman. Speaking of cyberpunk, uh, Tuesday, review the new Matrix movie. Oi. <laughs> <Just, laughs> Oi. Um, on Wednesday, we're doing the new, one of the new Lordy albums from Lordyversity. This one is Superfly Trap. Um, you know, we, we decided that we were going to do these one album at a time since there's seven of them. Um, on Thursday... Alexis says we're going to do it, so I believe her. We're going to do Animaniac Season 2 and Looney Tunes Season 3, 
And then David will be back. It's David week yeah. here on the on the Rattle oh, We're coming up on David month. <laughs> yeah, really. Um, we'll be back to talk Foundation on Apple Plus uh, Friday. We're re-airing our, our New Year's Eve. We're re-airing our Cobra Kai Season 2 review. New Year's Day, we've got my kids and I re-airing the Tom and Jerry alternative commentary that we did. Um, myself and Jesse Starcher did a Weird Al retrospective a few years ago as our Christmas show. We're going to re-air that. Um, and then January 2nd, uh, we've got a re-airing of the review reaction that myself and Robert Winfrey did for the Kentucky Fried Movie. Uh, myself, Evan Bevins, and Jesse Starcher talked Mark Russell's Billionaire Island. And then, assuming I can get it all watched in time, myself, Jason Teasley, and maybe Pat, maybe not, will be finishing up our discussion of you with season three. Um, in the meantime, check out like the 87 Christmas shows we did this past week. Um, we uh, re-aired Jingle All the Way, Heavy Saurus. My kids and I did a triple feature for Mickey's Christmas Carol, Yogi's First Christmas, and uh, Emmett Otter, plus um, a re-airing of The Grinch 2018, The Ultimate Warrior Christmas Special that Christine and I did, which was hilarious, The Last Christmas by Brian Posehn. Um, we did, uh, Evan Bevins and I did a triple feature of Fat Man, The Ref and In Bruges, uh, we also reviewed Spider-Man, No Way Home, and um, Nightmare Alley. So that's all up in the archives. Uh, other things. <laughs> okay, so we just got a, from our friend who's been following us on Twitch for the evening, and we thank him greatly. He suggest, he, he wants me and you to cover Afro Samurai. If you want to do Afro Samurai, I can do Afro Samurai. It's actually on my Hulu watch list. So you know what? We will make a point yeah. to get yeah, I, Afro I, I'm, I'm sort of trying to... Stop myself from trying to turn this into an anime podcast series. I try to be like very, very sparing with the anime recommendations. Like once in a while, I'm I'm happy to to dip your toe and in, in, more into I, that. But. I'm okay with doing Afro Samurai. That's fine. That's uh, that was one that I, where I was that week that I was like clicking stuff on Hulu. I'm like, I'll watch this. This looks fun. She's got big boobs. I'll watch that. Um, and then I saw Afro Samurai, and I'm like, that feels like it would be right up my alley. Actually, probably so. would be actually. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll make that happen at some point in 2022. Um, this month, like I said, David will be back. So he's back this Thursday. And then the, the following Friday, January 7th, it'll be J uh, David and I doing lost in space season three. We're going to finish that up from uh, Netflix. And then are you coming back for Cobra Kai season four? Uh, I plan on. Okay. Yeah. I have you in the, I have you in my notes as being on that and, possibly pat as well um i guess we'll see but definitely you so it'll be david on january 10th doing cobra kai season four um i think uh the witcher oh the, uh, was on the first one so i should probably follow up i will add your name yeah uh i don't remember you being on that one but okay i i won't disagree with you yeah um so yeah the witcher uh January 13th, that'll be allegedly myself, Winfrey, at Ronnie, possibly Pat, possibly not, definitely David, obviously. Thank you. Um, and then I think that's it for the month of January. Yeah, I mean, there's the Tripped Up Trivia video games. I think I'm on that. And I, okay. assume, I'm, I'm, I assume I'm coming back to do a Gretzko season four. Yes, that is the last one. All right. See, so you're yeah. better at this than I am. Uh, you'll be on for Agresco uh, season four on January 31st. Yeah. And I could probably talk Hawkeye if that one's not already packed to the rafters. Um, it is because um, 
Ronnie Adams said he's only wants to do that one with me, so I kicked everybody off. Uh, of that. Okay, yeah, no, no worries. <laughs> I'm I'm not going to die on that hill, but I I did I did watch it. So if you needed someone, but uh, yeah, okay, if, if you need a pitch hitter, <laughs> feel free to drop me a line. But I, I'll assume I'm not. Robert and Alexis might be doing something extra for Hawkeye, so get with them. Um, sure. All right. Anything else that you want to plug real quick before we get out of here? Uh, no, I think we've kind of covered uh, everything we have for the next month, and then we'll <laughs> we'll go from there. Yep. Yep. Uh, I I know the book of Boba Fett starts like in a few days, so whenever we get around to reviewing that, I'm sure. Yeah, you'll they have really well. packed the end of the year with uh, streaming TV. Like, <laughs> no it's, kidding. Yeah, like okay. if I, if I'm not on any of these shows, it's just because I couldn't find the time to watch it. It's you know I got Lost in Space, Cobra Kai, Witcher. Yeah, but, we already but, did a Gretzko. I loved it, but uh, that, yeah. that, that was Boba Fett. With, that was what happened with November. It was just like everything ended in October, and it was like, well. <laughs> <laughs> Let me try to watch 87 shows now in the month of November to try to get the yeah, coverage. Yeah, like, like the, the streaming services really need to get on board with like the Hollywood method of uh, not cramming everything into one week. Yeah, it's exhausting. All right. Um, thank you for joining us here on Triple Feature. For David Wright, I'm Mark Radledge. Be well, be safe, and behave.